Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. Today's guest is Travis King and he specializes in land flipping. Now, I'm not really a big fan of flipping anything. Well, I have, I flipped three dozen houses and I just couldn't figure out how to turn that into a passive income financial freedom business. That's why I kind of switched to apartments. And I am convinced that apartments are the number one way to become financially free with real estate. And and that is, well, I certainly believe that. But our guest today is giving a new perspective on maybe a strategy that also checks some financial freedom boxes around land flipping. Now, again, very skeptical at first, but I asked him a million questions about what he's doing and how he's doing it. And I got to say, it is interesting, right? So if you don't want to do apartments, then this could be another alternative. You know, obviously flipping houses is not a way to do it. You can do the Burr method, right, where you're buying and you're holding uh, portfolios. The problem with that strategy, of course, is that it's very difficult to scale. And he solved that problem very cleverly. So I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Travis King. Before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to Jonathan Haver, who left us a review on Amazon for the Yellow Book. The book is succinct and actionable, a real blueprint. I listened on Audible, then purchased a paperback to digest further, and I highly recommend it. Thank you, Jonathan. If you have not read the Yellow Book, it's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate then check it out. It's on Amazon, Kindle, and even a hardcover book and a softcover book as well. And leave us a review there. Also, if you love this uh, podcast, leave us a review on iTunes as well. The more people leave reviews, the more people find it and the more people we can reach. I want to give a shout out to Michael Keller and Brock Murgis. They have done at least their second deal. I know this because last year they did their first deal together. And these guys are swinging with a very big stick because this deal they've done here is 384 units for total purchase price of $43 million and they raised 12.2 million. I don't remember the, what their first one was like, but it was like 130 units for the first one. So amazing. Uh, they did work with Jeremy Lemire, who's our mentoring staff to get this done. So congratulations, Michael and Brock on this monster deal. And this is the thing I just want to say that people are still doing deals. And it's been like this since we started doing this in 2014. And I always get the, the question, is now the right time to get into this thing? And so the answer is always no, right? There's always something wrong with the market. It's too hot. It's too cold. There's blood in the streets, right? It's never really the right time to get into the market. And if that's the case, then either you should never get in the market or you should get into the market. And so I'm more of the opinion that you shouldn't try to time the market. You should get your education, learn about investing, how to analyze deals, pick a market, talk to brokers, talk to investors, learn the art of and the science of raising capital, and then get into the market. Because what happens is the fundamentals don't change, right? And, and when they do, then obviously it'll be newsworthy, but the fundamentals of affordable housing have been strong for, gosh, you know, since 2008, so, you know, and it's not looking like it's going to get any, any better. You can't build affordable housing anymore. It's too expensive. So the demand is there. And now we're in an affordability crisis in purchasing homes. And so I think it's an all-time high now where uh, buying a home is like 50% higher than, than renting uh, or something like that. So there's a lot of demand on affordable rental property, yet we can't build it. And so it's a huge opportunity to get into the space and you just got to figure out how to modify your tactics. So if the strategy is sound, then how do you modify the tactics, right? And this, this is something you can easily learn 
For example, how do I underwrite deals? How should I, what interest rate should I use, right? What kind of rent growth should I project, et cetera, et cetera. These are all things you can learn very quickly and you modify your underwriting and then you do the deals based on what's going on in the market and what you think is going to happen. And you're going to be, you know, typically, hopefully working with an experienced person, maybe a mentor who can give you some perspective on these things. These are easily learnable things. And so the way we underwrite deals now is quite a bit different than we underwrote them two years ago, right? But we figure out, we modify our, our underwriting and then get into the deal the best way we can. And now we're in the game. And so I urge you not to sit this one out because if you sit this one out, you're going to sit the next one out and the next one out and the next one out because you won't know when to get into the market. So what I mean is you really want to be talking to brokers now so that you can take advantage of the opportunity that's about to come, which is some opportunity to buy property. There's going to be some distress from operators who have not operated very well. And the rising interest rates put them into the red. They're not profitable. They've depleted their funds. If they have rate caps, they can't. They don't have the money to actually fund and extend them. They're not going to be able to do a capital call for their investors because who wants to throw good money after bad? So they're going to have to sell for pennies on the dollar or they have to return as a foreclosure. So I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of off-market deals, very creative deals that are getting done between other operators who are going to come in with creative finance, loan modifications, that kind of thing to basically scoop up these deals for pennies on a dollar. And if you're not already talking to brokers now, you're not going to see that off-market activity. You know? If it's in the news or in LoopNet, it's too late. So you want to get in there right now, get in your education, start networking and build that, that network up around you and really get into this game. I think in 2024 is going to be an amazing time to get in this market. All these hosts I, I'm, I'm talking to, we all wish we would have bought more stuff after the last recession. And it's really hard to do. And the only way you can do it is if you really look at a lot of deals and you recognize when the fundamentals are strong and when you have a good deal. And this is when Warren Buffett buys companies, right? This is when he invests because he understands the fundamentals and he understands that this company that he's buying or investing in is temporarily undervalued. For reasons no one really knows, probably investor sentiment and fear, that doesn't really matter. Somehow it's undervalued. And this is, I think, what we're going to see in 2024. In fact, we're already seeing it now. And you want to take advantage of this opportunity. So with that, let's talk to Travis King about this really cool strategy, land flipping, and how that can be used to become financially independent. Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Michael. Glad to be here. So tell me how you got into land flipping, because we all have a story. We discover these things. We have these epiphanies and the ha's. And how did you get started with land flipping? And, and, and how did that turn out a strategy for you? Well, I think similar, hopefully, to a lot of your listeners, right? Commuting, right? Commuting to work, <laughs> commuting to the W-2 you know, day job and listening to a lot of podcasts, a big, big podcast fan. And just, yeah, on my commute was, had done some, you know, single family house investing and and was listening to Bigger Pockets, kind of in search of a new angle, you know, a new strategy, a new asset class, and heard about land and land flipping. And my dad had done some subdividing, done some stuff with land growing up. So I had a little bit of familiarity, but not as like a business model, right, as flipping. So it's something I, I, I just dove in like anything, right? You got it. You First thing comes awareness and then becomes obsession, <laughs> right? And that's, I kind of became obsessed at building out a, essentially a six-figure second income with the goal of becoming a full-time investor. That's awesome. So describe land flipping as a strategy, like what's involved? How does it work? Yeah, well, the way we approach it is the, I think the the secret sauce or the, or the biggest thing is off market. 
So for us, you know, we're we're, we're immediately going after off market vacant land properties. One, we feel like if it's off market, it's not on the MLS. There hasn't been an established value. We don't have, now have that listing history to deal with or anything. So, so we feel like we're a little late to the party with with on market targeting stuff on the MLS. So we go, you know, we pull these these data sets or marketing lists, as most people think. Everything starts right. Everything starts with property ownership records, you know, and, and real estate investing. So we pull a marketing list. And direct mail is our primary channel. We do cold calling and texting, but direct mail is kind of our our winner as far as signed purchase agreements. Yeah. And then we reach out to off-market landowners with unsolicited blind offers, you know, in, in an effort to buy their land, you know, at well below market value. It's, it's essentially the kind of we buy ugly houses, you know, approach only to land is really what it is. I've gotten a few of those letters, Travis, probably one of yours, and uh, but they're quite probably not one of yours. But so, how do you so you're making these unsolicited offers? How do you know what offer to make? I remember I flipped I flipped houses, and it was we had a you know formula where we would just come in like 25 percent under whatever the list price is, whatever. And so, when you make these unsolicited offers, how do you know what to offer? Uh, that's a, a great question because that's actually where and why so much opportunity exists with land. Houses is much easier, right, to establish a value based on comps and assessed values. You right within a house, you know, we don't know the custom upgrades inside the house, so we don't know that we're going to get it perfect. But there's a lot more data available for houses, so that's actually where the opportunity kind of exists for land. Is that you have to understand how to value it, understand what platforms to use to pull the comps, you know, because there's not as many. So yeah, so that. Comping the property out ahead of time helps us a lot. So you have two approaches. Either you just send this like generic letter of interest that, that expresses an interest to buy their property. And then if they respond, then we we, we deep dive in. And that's when we value it and, and craft a custom offer, you know. And, and I'm sure you're quite familiar with that, Michael. It's kind of the letter of interest approach, you know, the postcard approach. Then the other approach is that blind offer approach I talk about. We're actually throw a number out there. And if we do that approach, there's a lot more work on the front end because right. yes, we're row by row. We're going through and valuing, estimating value of the price per acre within that, that zip code, let's say, to establish our value and then base our offer on that. All right. So so you have a way to kind of value the, the land. You have a system for sending out uh, direct mail. And then someone calls you calls you in, what what is the process there for negotiating that that price and then actually do you buy it or do you do you legally wholesale it or what what's the actual contractual part of that yeah so typically we buy outright you know we we also teach this and have a number of you know students in our community so there's a lot of people that come over from like house wholesaling world and and they have no interest in taking ownership and holding something for several months to get top dollar they just say hey i just want to sign over the contract so right. wholesaling or you know assigning the contract is a tool in the tool belt it is a strategy, but a lot of times we like to, you know, buy outright, capture as much equity as possible with, yeah, with our approach. So as the lead comes in, the first thing we do is we're, we're trying to, you know, disqualify the property or qualify it as quickly as possible, right? Is this even worth throwing a bunch of time at? You know, with land, there's things like, you know, road access, there's wetlands or flood zone, depending what state you're in. 
right? There's a slope of the property. Is it buildable? So first we try to qualify the property. And once, if it's qualified and makes it kind of through that, then we're moving on to the valuation. You have to make sure that establish a value. And then like any any asset class in real estate, you know, next determining the, the seller's level of motivation and what kind of offer they're receptive to, right? Now, how do you finance it? Because you said it, you really like to take title of it, which is the argument for wholesalers. It's like, oh, I don't need any money. I can do this without any money. I live on the spread, right? And so I never wholesaled. I bought from wholesalers. And so I was the same thing. I, I'm going to buy this thing and, and add a bunch of value. And instead of making five grand, I'm going to make $35,000. But of course, a lot more work and you do require capital. How do you basically finance that purchase? It's a great question because, you know, I, was, I think I was sharing with you before the show, I read, it was, listen, I, I'm not going to say read, I cheated. I'm listening to the audio book of, of your book and your aha moment was almost verbatim identical to one I had in, in my journey. And, and I took, I wrote it down here. You had said, you know, my ability to scale this business is only limited by my ability to find deals and raise money, not my lack of financial resources, right? So I encountered the same thing, put less, a, a little less eloquently. About two or three years into this, I realized that I was hamstrung and limited if I was just using our own capital. So that's when I kind of started going out and looking for outside money, you know, joint, you know, people to joint venture with me, kind of bring in the money. I would find the deals. And we started doing that early in our career. And that was kind of like uh, pouring gas on the fire, you know, for us to bring in outside money because we could now target these much, much larger deals that we could do on our own. Right. And the number of deals we could do because we weren't waiting to recycle and bring our money back in. So yeah, the, the answer is first we leveraged outside money until we had made enough money by leveraging outside money that we had enough of our own, right? So at the very beginning, we self-funded everything and it really restricted us in how quickly we could kind of scale and snowball. But then once I understood how to leverage outside money, it was complete game changer for us. And it was a little trickier because of the asset class of land. I would, I would give people kind of read them my resume given my transactional history and there, I could see their eyes light up. And then as soon as I said land, <laughs> it was kind of this wah, 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 <laughs> you know, because, you know, all these, these private lenders associated with single family or multifamily, once they heard land, it's just a, it's a different animal and they were unfamiliar. So it took me a while to crack that nut. But once I did, leveraging outside money and, and joint venturing on deals, I feel is like the fastest approach unless you come into this thing with a war chest of money. But but it's all the same. You could wholesale and assign contracts if that's your, your model as well. So how do you get top dollar then? Let's look at the exit of, of these things. What, what do you do? Because you said you hold it a few months, I assume, because you don't have to approve it, or maybe you do. Is there yeah. improvement or then how do you then uh, sell for top dollar then? Yeah, there's kind of two buckets or categories where we're either doing this with rural vacant land or we're doing it with like residential infill lots, you know, maybe more in like a metro area, right? So kind of two different strategies where the infill lot, we might do no improvements or we might just have like some landscaping and some some cleanup, right? So that the listing photos look better and get some drone videos or something. So with that, it's 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 very little to no improvements. We like to subdivide also. Mm. Which when I say that people, it sounds like a big project or it sounds like this daunting thing, but like clarifying, we, we like to split parcels. 
Okay. We, we don't put in sidewalks and infrastructure and roads or anything like that. Like we literally just split parcels up. So that would be kind of our only hold time is how long does it take the surveyors to get out there and, and you know, and split survey the property and then get it subdivided to sell it off. But no, it's, it's, it's a velocity game for sure, where we're, we're trying to, you know, bring money back into business as quick as possible. And, you know, later on, as we've gotten, we're a decade into this now. So there's more on our personal side, my wife and I, there's a lot more like we'll buy and hold, you know, if we find one or we subdivide some, it's kind of becomes a buy one, get one free when you subdivide. But, but the business model itself is very much built on, you know, on, on velocity and little to no improvements. That reminds me of, I think, something that was in Rich Dad Poor Dad, where Kiyosaki bought like a hundred acre tract and then sold off like five acres and basically yeah. used that money to pay for the 95 that he essentially got for free. And I was like, huh, that's, that's freaking brilliant. Exactly. Well, we'll do things like that where we take a, a large parcel, we'll split it down the middle and sell off half cash to get our money back and then split the other half up into three or four much smaller yeah. parcels and then, and then sell those off one at a time. Now, you mentioned infra infrastructure, right? The next level, I think, from what I know about land and value add is actually creating. So you're already subdividing. So you're adding some amount of value to, because you're doing that. But the next step probably would be it would be infrastructure. or, or and, and if so, have you considered it? And if not, why, why have is that something that you don't want to get into? Well, what we've found is that builders and developers, we prefer to source it to them and allow them to stay in the deal longer. You know, it might be a 15 to 18 months period for them, right? For us personally, we just would, we'd much rather make, you know, several small bets, right? And kind of spread our money out than we would put it all in one project. Because as we know, you know, if it takes two years to do a development or a project, you know, not timestamp in this, this episode, but as we know, markets shift, things change, right? So there's a little bit of risk associated with staying in a deal too long, right? So for us, our preference is to kind of keep it simple and have these relationships where we're sourcing the land to the developers and to the builders, but we're trying to, we're leaving enough meat on the bone to source it to them, but not stay in it and develop it ourselves just because it ties up so much capital on, on one project. Uh, there's not yeah. a right or a wrong. It's just with, with our model, that's our preference. Yeah, you're, you're obviously very intentional about that because you are getting into now essentially development. And and so yeah. the risk goes up and it ties up more capital. And so you're focused more on, on you're really focused, which is the right thing to do. Now, one of the things I found that you read, read in my book is I, I could not really figure out how to, how to rehab houses and turn it into a financial freedom vehicle. Now, I know you talk about financial freedom. In your world, how does land flipping, how can that create uh, financial freedom? Yeah, well, the, there's a number of different approaches, but one would be like either we can focus on big cash flips to kind of just pile up cash, right? Or we could essentially, what I would say, like buy time, meaning like we buy ourselves time that much of this land, especially the rural vacant land, there's this incredibly huge market that is familiar with and used to buying land on payments or seller financing, right? So mm -hmm. unimproved land is a really good candidate to sell with seller financing and on payment. So that's kind of an approach we'll do where like we have a 40 acre in Northern Arizona, for example, that it's a, a 15 year note that we created, right? So we're gonna be collecting payments for 15 years plus the, the interest income on that. 
So a number of people will approach this with buying the property. You know, the, the key is we capture equity when we buy. You know, as you know, like having flipped some houses and stuff, right? The generally you might get a little bit of a deal because it's an ugly house, but but really the sweat equity is the value add. For us, we're capturing equity at the time of purchase, which really, really insulates us from risk. You know, but if we capture equity on the purchase and we we sell this with seller financing, so we add that interest income on top of it, right? The it, the math pencils out pretty good. So this is how early on actually was my initial approach to leave the job, being a you know a husband and, and dad with kids. I I couldn't be a cowboy, you know, or a maverick with with just quitting the job and trying to go full time. I really had to build something that I knew I had enough runway when I left. So we initially, that's what we did. We built the business up by selling these properties off via seller financing. And we created enough notes that the monthly income was 10,000, you know, at the time, 10,000 a month was as big as I could think. It felt huge at the time. In hindsight, I, I, I chuckle because as your mindset changes, as your business grows, your mindset grows, right? But at, at the beginning, 10,000 a month was that big magic number. And we got there and I was able to quit my job we had that recurring income from notes. So kind of the long answer is really like with notes or seller financing, you can create a situation where you're getting pretty passive income. You know, you have a third party note servicer. The beauty is you don't have like, you don't have repairs, you don't have maintenance tickets because it's vacant land, you know? So usually it's it's not occupied. So there's not much maintenance with it. So, but I still not a fan of the total passive, but it's pretty passive income. The main thing is it's recurring. So you create the situation as far as the financial freedom where when we did that, when I left my job, the first thing I did was we took a month-long vacation because you know I knew those payments are coming in, right? I knew those, those payments were coming in. So a lot of people will leverage seller financing to create that kind of, you know, that kind of financial freedom and buy themselves, essentially buy themselves time, knowing that they have five, 10, 15 years worth of note income coming in after they've done all that work on the front end. If you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you're looking for a way to become financially free with real estate, but you haven't figured out how to do it, we may be able to help. Take this next step and schedule a call with us. Let's have a conversation because on this call, we're going to map out where you are right now, what your goals are with financial freedom, and then we'll figure out if we can achieve your goals with real estate. And the way we're going to do it, of course, is with apartment building, the number one way to become financially free literally in the next 12 months months. And on this call, we're going to share with you how we do this. We have this proven formula and roadmap that's helped students acquire over $1.5 billion in multifamily assets. And many, most of them have never done any kind of investing before, certainly have not raised any money before as well. We've had complete beginners do their first profitable deal just six months following this system. So if you'd like to find out if partner investing is right for you, and of course, most importantly, you're open to getting guidance from us, then go to themichaelblank.com forward slash call to reserve your free strategy session. Now, if you're listening to this right now and you're an experienced syndicator and you've done a deal or maybe several deals, but you can't seem to figure out how to raise more and more capital, how do you get to $10 million and above? Then also, let's have a conversation as well, because not only have we helped people do their first deal and become financially free, but we've helped dozens of experienced syndicators break through and scale the performance to a thousand units or $10 million raised. So if I'm talking to you right now, either way, go to the michaelblank.com forward slash call and let's have a conversation. Let's book a free strategy session and let's get a lot of clarity 
on that call. Because my goal is simple. I want to connect you with the right system, the right level of support, and the right network to help you achieve your next level of investing, whether that's your first deal, financial freedom, or scaling your portfolio. So let's definitely have a conversation. Go to the michaelblank.com forward slash call and schedule that call. Here's the thing. Don't do this alone. It takes too long. It's too frustrating. It's no fun. Trust me. I tried that route and I don't recommend it. Work with us instead and uh, help us achieve your goals faster with less mistakes. The michaelblank.com forward slash call. Let's do this. And, and you're right that with, with single family houses, that, that, there, that was not really a, a repeatable scale model. You, know, you could sell a, a lease option or you can have tenants in there, but that's more of a rental portfolio. And so creating notes, that's, that's very interesting. Now, can you still, how can you still do that when you're actually raising money for land purchase? Uh, do you wrap it around or how do you structure, do, do you pass that 15-year note on to the investor or how does the, what does the return look like for the investor? Yeah, well, a lot of times for us, we're, we're buying land and it, it, it's hard for people to wrap their head around, but we typically buy land for like, you know, 35 to 50% of its value. With like an infill lot in a metro area, we might come up to 60%. We might pay a lot higher, but we really only take the slam dunks and layups. So we're just, we run the business super conservative. And I would rather spend more on marketing to find a better deal than I would make a deal work, you know, and, and buy too much deeper. So for us, yeah, like we're generally not paying over, you know, 50%. And a lot of times you're paying a little less. So that initial down payment we ask for, we try to get almost all of our money back. You know, when we we resell through agents and on the MLS, and it's just kind of par for the course to to ask 30 to 50% down when mm -hmm. people buy, right? That's what the banks want on land. We ask the same. We give them a little bit better interest rate than the banks. But we're usually getting most of our money back when we resell it with that down payment because again, we've only we've only bought it for 30 to 50%. So the beauty of that is we're not upside down too long in the note. You know, usually within 12 to 18 months of the note, we're we're flush, right? But yeah, you can have that potential like you're saying though if you were you're you're buying too deep and you're not getting a large enough down payment. This was an education I had early on what I, you know, I we kind of found ourselves dirt rich and note rich but cash poor, right? Where we had created all these notes, but we weren't, you know what I mean? We weren't liquid. We had all our everything was trapped in notes. So you got to have a balance. We kind of have this happy balance of cash sales and seller finance sales so that we're always bringing money back in. Otherwise, you kind of, you cap out at how many of those you can buy outright and sell on payments. I gotcha. So, okay, I see how that works with a, when you get a deposit, you actually pay, you pay your, you and your investor back when you buy the land. And so you're basically creating a note from essentially what the equity is. That's, that's pretty cool. Now, yeah. Again, I'm curious about your last day of work. Like, what was that like? You know, so the funny thing was, I remember having some extension or browser extension or some some web app that you plugged in a date and it was like a countdown backwards, right? So I remember uh -huh. like having this date that was several months out of like, okay, I'm going to quit at this time, right? And I remember kind of every day I go into my workstation and looking at that date and being like, okay, well, we're getting closer. And that's kind of what gave me hope and, and got me continue to go there. We built it in such a way that it was like all of our payments were are like our contracts were, you know, using like Zapier, right? We had automations for the, the web forms for the contracts to be filled out, to be docu signed. And then the payments were auto drafted, right? With QuickBooks. So 
the reality was by the, I kind of got the business running so smooth by the time I hit the date, you're like, why would I, it felt silly. Why would I quit? Like I'm not working as hard as I was the first couple of years because there was a couple of years of overlap. So I had to convince myself. So I'm like, maybe I'll stick around a while. So I actually stayed probably six months longer than I need to. And then I just had one of those moments in a meeting where I'm like, okay, time to <laughs> time to pack up. So for me, it was a situation where, yeah, I, I got up midday, grabbed my stuff, walked out and was just done, you know? And now, yeah, it was a, be- a beautiful day, right? It was a beautiful day. What did your coworkers say, your friends? Like, what was their reaction? It was kind of a, you know, office space moment where about three days later, a manager called and, you know, it said, Hey, are you, you know, what's going on? Are you coming back? (laughs) And you just, no, no, you know, we had built this thing up with the intention of going full time. Yeah. And finally got there. And then, you know, I I probably took the foot off the gas for the first year I was full time. And I think that was just kind of recharge and spend a lot of family time after years of, of, of clocking a lot of hours. But after about 10 months or a year, I, I got re-energized to, you know, have another surge and grow the business again after, you know, after taking a little well-deserved break, I guess. It sounds like you you kind of stayed in your job for probably longer than, well, you could have left earlier. And so realistically, you're working with a number of people as well. Like how yeah. long does it take realistically to, you know, generate whatever, seven, $10,000 per month yeah, well, I, I approach it different with clients now with that the beauty of hindsight, right? Where I wouldn't actually have people follow my path. You know, <laughs> me I, too. Me too. I'm like the crash test dummy of like apparently everything. So don't uh, you feel like, yeah, you have a better yeah. way? You say, like, learn from Absolutely. my mistakes, don't repeat them. So so I have a much better, more deliberate plan for people. And it's usually like customized to their situation. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Because you'll have some individuals that are happy, you know, with their job and their profession. They just want to scratch that itch outside the day job or build up kind of a a second stream of income. So their plan looks a little different than the person that says, hey, this job's soul crushing, get me out of it as quick as I can. So we'll kind of build a customized plan. But usually I just start with very much just start with their what what they need annually and work backwards. And we generally say, how are we going to collect that in what increments, right? Are we going to do one or two really big flips a year? Or are we going to try to break this up so we're doing one a month and you get that over 12 flips, you know? So so that that's usually where I start is, you know, what fits you and how much time do you have to input in the business? Because you're really only limited by your inputs, right? So if somebody says, hey, I, I can only throw 10 hours a week at this, it looks a little different, you know, for the, the dad of four, that's strapped for time and only can give the business 10 hours a week, then the single guy who says, hey, man, I'll throw 35 hours a week at this, right? They have all that extra time. So for them, we can build a different plan. So yeah, it's very customized. I try to to build it very customized and intentional, knowing that not everybody has the same amount of time. And also knowing being a dad, I have three boys, you know, all three boys are in two sports. So you know, I, I understand those time limitations, so I might help somebody build their business model a, a little differently than the single guy who's got nothing but time to throw at the business, you know. But typically within a year, I feel like you can get that income replaced. And then I'm a big fan. I'm a fan of overlap. I really am of rather than somebody leaving too early and having to return to their workforce, 
I would prefer to kind of, you know, embrace that suck and, you know, experience as much, endure as much overlap as you can while you kind of stack as much cash as you can on the side. Because when you get, you know, when you become an entrepreneur, it's a change when it's a side hustle and it's a second income versus when it's your primary income and you're cannibalizing the business, paying yourself, right? It's a different ballgame. So I like people to have more set aside than they need whether it's uh, kind of mountains of cash or streams of recurring node income, you know, I, I would prefer that people build it up beyond what they think they need before they quit their job. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting to see when people people quit. Some people burn the boats before they even got started, and then other people stay in their job way too long. And it's interesting just kind of seeing, you're right, there's not a single size uh, fits all. I want to talk to you about threats and opportunities. We're obviously in an interesting, challenging times and a lot of people are struggling and there's also a lot of people argue a lot of opportunity where do you see the threats in in land flipping and then where do you see the opportunities well i feel like the most immediate threat to to not just land but almost all real estate investors is interest rates you know interest rates just have such a significant impact on everybody's you know behavior right and buying and activity so for us, like our some of our infill lots, we were riding a really high wave, you know, when people were buying lots and builders were building or people were building a second home. When uh, the interest rate was low enough, they could get a construction loan immediately, right? Uh, when rates went up, the builders obviously pumped their brakes, if not paused, totally, okay? So that slowed down our kind of infill lot flipping side of the business. And what we did at that time is we kind of leaned into the rural vacant land and the seller financing. And the silver lining of rates going up is when you're the lender, you're the bank, right? We're originating notes. People were beating us up on interest rates the last three, four, five years, right? Well, all of a sudden when rates go up and you're the one originating notes, it means instead of getting 8.9%, you're now getting 10.9 or 11.9% on the notes you create, right? So for us right now, it is a really good time for us to originate notes, you know, with, with the current interest rate and lean more in to the rural vacant land because it, it's kind of more sustainable and, and less volatile. The residential infill lots are, are very cyclical, you know, and tied to the interest rates in the building, home building industry. So for us, we don't do one or the other. Because when you're all in on one, you know, you can, you can be real vulnerable. That's kind of the threat. So we look at it like having two different products, you know, in our business. And, and depending on what the market's doing, we lean more into one than the other. Opportunities. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity with subdividing. You hinted on developing things like that. The, the larger projects and that most individuals that are familiar with land or land flipping kind of come in through a guru, through a $97 course or something, right? Most, most people are are kind of immediately starting out with the very, very cheap stuff, meaning like auction lots, you know what I'm saying? Like, Michael, like $10,000, $20,000 property. So a lot of people, a lot of the activity is at a very low price point. The opportunity, and this is when we got outside money and we could start going after more expensive stuff, we realized these individuals received way less direct mail, way less calls, texts, letters. So we realized there's actually opportunity at a higher value. And the way it was initially presented to us, 
was that this is kind of an inefficient market at the below 30,000 price point because no agents want no no agents want to take a land listing worth $20,000 there's not enough commission. So that's the way it was presented to us and that's the way that worked for us cuz we had limited means. But when we started bringing in outside capital and going after 150, $250,000, you know, lots, we realized that land was an inefficient market at, at almost every level. We even realized like having investors in our network who who do this model with ranches, you know, I mean, meaning like a couple million dollar ranches in Texas, you might buy for under market value and then subdivide and sell off as ranchettes. So that really opened my eyes to realize that there's opportunity and land is an efficient market, you know, at, at not just the the 3,000 price point, 30,000, 300,000, but up to the 3 million, you know, meaning just there's a lot of opportunity if you have enough capital, you know, and enough experience to take down and and willing to take the risk to go after bigger deals. There's a lot of opportunity in the bigger deals. And it, it's a space that not a lot of people, not a lot of investors are playing in. So I think that's where our next opportunity is, is as we shift is just, you know, less transactions per year, you know, bigger projects, more revenue per transaction, maybe working with more outside capital versus using our own capital. I think that's where the opportunity is for us personally. Travis, how can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing with the land flips? Travisking.com is probably the easiest. Yeah, probably the one-stop shop. From there, you can see our different training programs we have. Got a lot of respect for what you're doing that with your book. Put, you know, whenever you read somebody's book, you, you consume it and you think, oh, that was a good book, but you have no idea the work that goes into getting that book launched, right? I've been working for about two and a half years, Michael, and finally got the landinvestorsplaybook.com. So the land investors playbook I've been writing for a couple of years. And kind of went the conventional route. You know, this was all before AI emerged and you could write a book in a weekend, you know, so much like you, you know, did it the hard way, the conventional way. And so pretty excited about that coming out as well. But TravisKing.com is the easiest place to to get familiar with me, I'd say. Well, it's fascinating to pick your brain about a, a new, a different strategy to become financially free. And and I, I love it. Thanks you. Thanks for for being so transparent with your strategy. So really enjoyed chatting with you, Travis. Yeah, absolutely. And what I'll tell people is it's not a standalone strategy. I have investors that pair this with like Burr, you know, the Burr model single family or like multifamily where this model spits off cash, but it doesn't have those tax advantages like multifamily, right? And, and depreciation and stuff like that. So it's so sometimes pairing those things, right? Where you've got a, a business generating a lot of cash over here and you can push it into this other business over there. There's a lot of synergy where a lot of marketers, they'll try to kind of pit houses versus land or multifamily versus this. You know, there, there's actually every asset sits on land, right? So there's a lot of synergy generally when, when you pair the two. Love it, Travis. Thanks for being on the show. All right. Appreciate you, Michael. Thanks. So one of the reasons I didn't like house flipping was because when I wasn't buying, fixing and selling a house, I wasn't making money. And then once the house was sold, the money would stop flowing. That didn't appeal to me. It was a lot of work for no residual. And Travis really has, has, has kind of solved this problem because he's buying land, number one. You don't have to improve land. So I like that. I think that's really cool. And then he, he creates, he, he flips some of them, but then what he loves to do, especially on rural, is, is actually create notes. And that is the passive income. And I really like that. I really like that. I think he's worked out a lot of things. So 
it, it could be a viable alternative to financial freedom to look into dealing in land. So I think that's that's really cool. Now, if you are interested in investing passively in multifamily real estate or in a debt fund, talk to us at Nighthawk Equity, which is our investment company. Go to nighthawkequity.com and just schedule a call with us. We'd love to get to know you better and, and present you with some upcoming real estate investing opportunities in a multifamily space, as well as also in real estate debt. Love to have that conversation with you. So always, always be looking for opportunity. There's a lot of challenges, a lot of fear in the, in the market right now. And this is the kind of time, it reminds me of, of 2008, 2009, when I got into house flipping. Gosh, I should have gotten apartments, but I sensed the opportunity. And it was a huge opportunity when you can buy a, a house for 80,000, put 30,000 into it and sell it for $185,000. And I was like, man, that surely is a good opportunity. And this is the kind of opportunity we're going to get in the apartment space. So be on the lookout. Get started with that right now. Let's do this. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading Michael's free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Head over to themichaelblock.com slash ebook to get the free training.